I like to preach. Um, I went to I went to Bible college and everything else. I went to homiletics and hermeneutics and learned how to preach, and I enjoy preaching. But um, when when pastor asked me to bring the lesson tonight, almost immediately, and I've I've I, I've never had this before as far as what what I'm going to talk about tonight. Almost immediately, I, I, this came to mind. You know what? This is what I'm going to talk about. And um, I couldn't get it out of my mind. So this is what we're going to go through tonight. I'm, I'm not going to... I don't have a super exciting testimony, I wouldn't say. But um, there are, have been some things in my life that um, I know for sure have been God's will in my life. And I'm going to talk about a couple of those things tonight. Um, this is not necessarily a lesson on how to find God's will. I've heard a lot of preachers preach on that. How do you find God's will? What does it, what does it look like? Um, this is more of a lesson on how God showed me his will for me. And uh, hopefully you can take some lessons on, you know, maybe, maybe, oh man, I didn't, you know, that's, that's a good way for me to find God's will in my own life. Um, God shows people in a lot of different ways, what his will is for them. You think of uh, Gideon, remember when he was put the fleece out and all the rest of that, and he was shown God's will that way, and, and God um, played along, I guess, with his fleece and, and the different things. He wanted signs for what God wanted him to do. Uh, that's not always how God works, though. Uh, remember, I talked about, the last time I preached, I, I mentioned this, um, but God shows us truth in his word in, in different ways. And one of those ways was emotions. One of those ways was um, our reasoning. Uh, one of those ways sometimes is uh, a sign like that. But it's a, that's not a good way to live your life. Remember I mentioned, um, you know, what, what would you do if well, you're trying to decide who to marry? And you said, you know what? If the next car that comes down the road is a green car, I'm going to marry Sarah. If it's a red car, I'm going to marry this girl. I mean, that's a terrible way to decide what God's will is for your life. But sometimes God allows that. So like in the case of Gideon, he allowed that and said, you know what? I've got to show this guy what I want him to do or he's not going to, he's not going to do it. Um, and I, I can get that way, I think, sometimes. I, 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 my personality is, can be stubborn at times. And I think sometimes God has to drag us into his will. Because he knows we want to do it. We just are too stubborn to uh, just say, okay, that's what God's will is for my life. But uh, we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 5 and start in verse 15 here in just a minute. But I read an article and added some of my own thoughts. And this is what I wrote down. So this is, this is what I have for an introduction. God's will for our life has reason and purpose. And what I mean by that is... God does not have a will for our lives, a path for our lives, because that's the path. It's not, he doesn't correct us when we're off the path because that's the path I set. He does it because he, as we see in Jeremiah, and we'll read that uh, here in a little bit, Jeremiah chapter 29, he knows the plans that he has for us. Plans of good and not of evil. And so he doesn't have a path, a will for our lives because you're going to follow what I tell you to do. It's because he knows what's best for us. So God's will for our lives has reason and purpose. Maybe there's people in that path that he's got for you that won't know, they won't know about Jesus and they won't get saved without you being on that path. Um, think about some of the decisions, at least for me, that, that have been made. Uh, there's people that if I had stayed in Indiana... I, that's 800 miles from here. I would never have crossed paths with them, ever. Uh, so when you get on God's path for your life, God's will for your life, um, sometimes that reason and purpose is to cross paths with, with others that might not ever hear about Jesus Christ. It is through Scripture where we can find meaning and principles discerning God's will. So how do we know what God wants us to do? He doesn't audibly speak to us anymore. He doesn't come down and say, this is what I want you to do. So how do we find it? We find it through principles and discerning God's word. Um, and, and a huge part of 
knowing what God's will for your life is, is when you are starting to make a decision, do you, do you have peace about it? Or are, is everything in you going, ah, I should, probably shouldn't be doing this? Having peace about what you're about to do is a big part of knowing God's will. Because if, if you're halfway walking with God, he's going to, his Holy Spirit is going to send a bunch of red flags up. That's not what I want you to do, and you won't have peace about it. Um, but, but finding principles uh, and meaning and discerning God's will in the Word of God. Um, if you are interested in knowing God's plan for life, for your life, you must learn to walk with God, to develop a relationship with Him. Christianity is all about a relationship with Christ, not just religion. You will cultivate this relationship by spending time in His Word, taking time for prayer, and taking time, taking every opportunity you can to be involved in church and and Bible study and all the rest of that. These are some of the notes that I wrote down, but. Uh, if you're not praying, that's how God speaks to us. If you're not reading your Bible, that's how God speaks to us. If you're not in church to hear, uh, the pastor is called the shepherd for a reason. Shepherds lead. And so you may be sitting in church and trying to make a decision on something and the pastor's preaching away and talks exactly about what maybe your decision is going to be. And you go, oh, well, obviously I can't do this. That's not, that's not in God's word. That's not according to his word. So I, this must be the right decision. If you're not in church, you're not going to hear that. So we, we pray, we read God's uh, word, we're in church. And then this is very important, but I wrote this down as well. Many times when we say we're seeking God's will, what we really are saying is, God, this is my plan and I want your stamp of approval on it so I can tell everybody I'm in God's will. This is my plan. Can you approve it? Um, instead of a completely open slate, God, what do you want me to do? Um, and so uh, hopefully this will be interesting to you. Hopefully I will uh, bring it across in an interesting way. It is my life. It is my family's life that I'm going to talk about tonight. And like I said, it's not some crazy, super exciting. Sometimes you'll hear a pastor you know, that has got saved late in life and became a preacher and he gives his testimony and it's just on the edge of your seat. Man, how did, this guy had a wild life. My testimony is not that, but God has brought us through some interesting things and, and especially bringing us down here to Virginia. I never thought in a million years I would be here, but God very, very specifically brought us here. So I want to I talk about a few of those things tonight and in the in the course of talking about these, we will talk about God's will and, and how kind of how do we find it and what does that look like. So Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15, uh, we'll start there and read through verse 20. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Verse 17, wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the, Holy, with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, those first couple verses, though, are verse 16 and 17, redeeming the time because the days are, are evil. We waste so much time, and I don't mean time in each day of our life, but we waste so much of our lives not being in God's will. That doesn't mean God can't use us ever if we're not in on the path that he has for us, but we can't, pastor mentions this fairly often, you know, he, he in his mind says, you know, when we get to heaven, we, I think we're going to see rewards on the shelves that were for us, but we don't, we never got them because we weren't doing what God wanted us to do. He had these rewards for us and we never we never claimed them uh redeeming the time because the day days are evil and verse 17 says wherefore be ye not unwise but understanding what the will of the lord is so we're commanded to understand what the will of the lord is what is it and what should we be doing let's go ahead and pray and then we will jump right into it father i thank you for this day you've given us god i thank you for an opportunity i thank you for how you've worked in my life and in the life of my family and just God, led us and shown us 
where you want us to be and what you want us to be doing. By no means is it a perfect path that we've been on, but God, you've, you've led us. And where we've listened and followed, you've been so good to us. And I pray that as we talk about this tonight, God, that you would help each one of my friends here tonight, God, that we would understand what the will of the Lord is, figure out what it is that will for our lives is, and get on that path so that you can bless, so that you can use us, so that you can work through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Look at Micah chapter 6 and verse 8. I'm gonna, I have quite a few verses because uh, all through the Bible, it talks about the will of the Lord. Uh, that's not to say that if you get off that path a little bit, you're done. You can never, ever be used again. Um, we can get back on that path, and God, that's the reason sometimes God corrects. He's trying to push you in a certain direction to get you back where you were supposed to be. Not just spiritually. Sometimes when we backslide, he brings us back to where we should be spiritually, but on the path for our lives as well. Micah chapter 6 and verse 8 says this, He hath showed thee, O man, what is good, and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. That is the will of the Lord. Uh, I remember being in college, and, and it's always in college. Everybody's wanting to know what God's will is for my life. Because we're young, we're getting ready to go into some sort of ministry, most of us. I went to a Bible college where you were training for ministry in one, one, sort of, uh, one way or another. And so that's always the question. I don't know what God's will is for my life. What should I do? And I remember hearing messages preached when I was in college and they would say, there are verses in the Bible that says, this is the will of God. If you don't know what else to do, do this. And that's what Micah chapter six, verse eight says. Uh, what does the Lord require of us? Do justly, love mercy, walk humbly with thy God. First uh, Thessalonians, and if, if you don't want to turn to these, that's fine. Um, I'm going to be turning them to... Uh, turning to them myself. I don't have them all written down, so uh, if you can keep up with me, perfect. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. If you're here in Sunday school on Sunday, I talked about this, being a clean vessel. This is the will of God, be a clean vessel. If nothing else, he can take that vessel and he can use it. He can use it uh, for his glory. This is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. And it goes on. First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, one page over. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. So there are verses all over in the Bible that this is God's will. Do these things. But that doesn't necessarily give us the path for our life. That gives us, if you're doing these things in your life, this is God's will for what you should do. But we still have a path that we need to follow. Now, if you're reading your Bible, if you're praying, you're giving thanks always in all things because this is the will of God, and you're walking humbly with your God, and you're doing justly, and all these verses, God is going to show you what path you're supposed to be on, what he wants you to do with your life. But... This is the path that I've been on in my life, and uh, I'm going to go through this, and I'll read some verses here and there, um, and, and we'll get through this, and hopefully it'll help you, uh, if nothing else, uh, understand how we came to be in Virginia. That, and, and this is what uh, you know, me and my wife talk about sometimes when, when things are, I don't want to say not going right, but... We know this is where God wants us. We know this is where we're supposed to be, at least for now. And so it really doesn't matter what comes up in our lives or what comes up in the church or what comes up with you know, relationships that we have. It doesn't matter. I know this is where God wants us because of how he brought us here and made it very clear to us. And the same thing goes for each church member, each church family. God leads you to a church. This is the path God has for you in your life right now. Uh, so that's why I don't understand sometimes how people can just leave and go to this church and leave and go to that church because God, if he called you to this place, uh, 
silly little things shouldn't upset us so bad that we're willing to leave and get off of that path that he has for us. But when I was growing up, um, I grew up in a great Christian home, a great church, a great school. Um, and from a very young age, I mean, as young as I can remember, because both of my older brothers were already in wrestling, I grew up wrestling. That's what we did. And we had other sports that we were involved in, uh, soccer and some of the other things, but we loved to wrestle. My dad did that his whole life growing up, so he was kind of a coach to us as we went through. And what I didn't understand, in fact, it was actually a joke all the way going through high school and college with my, my friends. Anytime something happened, man, I smashed my hand, it'll build character, you know, because that was the answer for everything when we were growing up, that builds character, uh, you know. You're running these sprints and you're, you know, you're dieting to cut weight. It builds character. And uh, it almost became a joke. But I didn't understand it at the time. Our coach was, uh, and hopefully one day he may end up actually, you know, visiting down here. He's been to our house, I think, just passing through, but it was during the week. But anyways, he's a short, short black guy, kind of a, kind of a stocky guy, but he was everything you need in a coach, not what you want in a coach, but everything you needed in a coach. Uh, he didn't feel sorry for you when you were hurting. Um, of course, if something was broken, that was a different story, but he pushed us and pushed us and pushed us. And at the time, you know, you're getting better and better and better at wrestling as you're coming in through high school and you're in the gym and in the weight room and all the rest of that. And you start getting these thoughts in your mind, man, I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something with my wrestling career. And he would come in and he had... I hope is this live streamed? He's gonna he might ever might hear this one day, but he would uh, come into the gym and if you had you know if you had won a close match or something like that you know he'd come to the practice the next day. Most of the matches were on a Fridays, so you had all weekend to you know gloat and bask in your win. And he would, he'd come in on Monday and he'd say, "You fathead!" <laughs> it would I mean always without fail. It didn't matter what you did. He he never let you get too proud of your win. And he'd say, you know what, go wrestle this guy. And he'd, you know, tear you down and show you you weren't all that. But um, he would say this fairly often to us. He said, I'm not, I'm not trying to grow wrestlers here. I'm trying to raise soldiers for Jesus Christ. That's why I'm so hard on you. I want you guys to pretty much be able to stand up to anything in your Christian life. He said, I don't care about the, the wrestling. That's not what we're doing here. We're doing that to build character, and that's kind of where that came from. Oh, that builds character. But that's what he was trying to do. And and our principal and all the rest of that, they were all they were all friends. So they were uh, all in, in a league against us, I think. But they were trying to raise soldiers for Jesus Christ, not wrestlers or good athletes. They didn't care about any of that. But um, as I was growing up, of course, I grew up in church, so... I, from, from the time I can remember, you know, I was in Sunday school and uh, hearing about uh, what Jesus did for us on the cross. He died on the cross for us and, and all the rest of that. Um, and so I, I remember, you know, I'm probably four years old. Of course, you have older brothers that they're, you know, their teachers are telling them, you need to be telling others about Christ. So who, who do they naturally go tell? Me. And so they're trying to, you know, almost guilt trip me into, you need to be saved. And of course, I knew I, I knew that at, at some point, you know, growing up. And so I remember several times making little, you know, professions of faith. Uh, I remember a couple specific times, but not like I couldn't tell you anything about it. But um, I do remember that uh, when I was 10 years old. So when I was 10 years old, they started this thing in our youth group called the Empowered Youth. And it has become now there's four or five hundred teens come from all over the country now still to that church and do this in November. Uh, it's like three days long and it's a great time, but it's loaded with tons of preaching. And uh, I don't know if any of you know who Larry Brown is, but the first year they did this, I was 10 years old. Both of my brothers. So they my 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 uh, brother just older than me was 12. And then my brother, who is our pastor, Steve, was 14 or 15, and uh, all the 12-year-olds, they said, ah, oh, they're so close, we'll let them go. It's the first time we want them to have a good time, too. So I got left out, and I remember I couldn't wait till they came out with the tapes from the preaching so I could listen to it, you know, and see what they talked about in there. 
And uh, Larry Brown was the one that did the first, uh, I believe, did the first Empowered Youth, and, and my memory may be a little bit wrong, but I know right after the Empowered Youth, I got a hold of a tape from him when he preached, and I was, I don't remember where my brothers were at, because I was in the room by myself, and we all shared a room. But he preached a message called Going to Hell in a Helicopter. And it was about, he actually took this whole, uh, you know, drama in real life from Reader's Digest, right? And uh, they had a story about a volcano that these scientists went into to try to do whatever. And he kind of jumped off of that. That was how he started his message, jumped off of that. And I think that when they went into that volcano with a helicopter, they actually crashed and went into the volcano and one of them survived or something crazy. But I remember listening to that uh, message, and obviously it was a message on hell, and it, it scared me, you know, to death. I knew, I knew the story of, of Jesus dying on the cross. I knew all about that. And I've heard messages in the past, you know, that you shouldn't be scared into being saved. But Jude, Jude verse 23 says, some you save with compassion. Others, in fact, I'll read it. Jude verse 23 says, and others save with fear, or, or uh, verse 22, sorry, and of some have compassion, making a difference. So some of them, you go after them with compassion, and you try to, to, to bring them into Jesus Christ. In verse 23, others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted the, with the flesh. And I think that was me. I needed to be saved with fear. Uh, I knew what heaven and hell were, but this particular message, uh, anyway, so I listened to that message, and I laid there and laid there thinking about it, thinking about it. Finally, I went downstairs to my, my parents' bedroom, and I knocked on the door, and I, and I talked to my dad. And, and, of course, I had heard it so many times. I was 10 years old, grew up in church, that I didn't really need to be explained any of the verses, you know, John 3.16 and Romans 6.23. But my dad kind of went through a few of the verses, asked me a few questions, and I said, I, I need to be saved. If I don't get saved and I die, I'm going to hell, and I'm scared to death. And... Uh, so, so I got saved when I was 10 years old. A couple of weeks, very shortly after that, I got uh, baptized uh, in the church there. And then life kind of went, you know, life goes on in a way. Uh, you continue going to church. You continue going to the Christian school. You, you're still in a great family. Um, and as I started hitting the end of high school, there was a whole bunch of us. Now, you remember, I, so I graduated in, in 2005. Not too long before that was 9-11. So there's still a big push for, you know, to go into the military and all that. And so a few of us really were really interested in, in going into the military, but I was torn. I felt like I was called to go into missions, but I wanted to go into the military. So what do you do to go be a missionary? But also I wanted to, to go into the military because 10th, 11th, 12th grade, you're, you're at your peak you know, physically, really, you're, you, we were in wrestling still, and uh, we got to the point where, you know, um, public schools, so we weren't in the same class of class as they were, but public schools wouldn't wrestle us and put it on their record, because we could actually, we actually held our own and could beat some of these public schools, and so we started, you know, feeling our, our weedy, so to speak, and said, man, you know, we, let's go into the military, and our youth pastor, who is now the pastor there in Indiana, we had a great youth pastor, and he sat all of us older teenage boys down, and he said, what are, what are you trying to prove? Anything in the military, you've been through it with Coach Wright, our coach. He said, the military's not going to be harder than what he's put you through already. What are you trying to prove? Uh, and there's nothing, I have nothing against the military uh, as far as going into the military. I have a lot of friends that I grew up with that did go into the military, and they're out, and they're still in church and all the rest of that. But it's, uh, it can be a very trying time for a young person, uh, too. You can really quickly get off of that path we're talking about that God has for you. And our youth pastor kind of talked us out of going to the military. He said, look, go to Bible college for a year. And if you still want to go to the military after that, go to the military. But let's, you know, outside after high school, let's, let's get grounded a little bit before we do that. Well, I ended up going to Bible college, and I stayed the whole four years. Never ended up, obviously, going to the military. Um, but anyway, so I went to Bible college as a missions major. Um, and, and I have a bunch of verses written down here. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2 is one of the verses that he 
brought up to us uh, when he said, what, you know, what, what are your thoughts here? Is it, and that was one of the things he asked us to. Do you believe that it's God's will for you to go into the military? And all of us were like, <laughs> we hadn't even thought about it, you know. Proverbs, or Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. He's, he told us, you are supposed to be a living sacrifice to God. And if you think that God wants you to go into the military, by all means, but you better prove to me that that's really what God wants. And it's not that he's God. We could make the decision we wanted. But he was trying to, we had kind of all talked ourselves up to go into the military. And he saw that and said, I, I don't think most of you should go. Um, so I ended up going to Bible college. I really felt that I would eventually be uh, a missionary, be in missions. And uh, part of the missions program there at the college I went to was at some point in those four years, you had to take a missions trip. So I took a missions trip, it's six weeks long, and I went to Mongolia, just north of China. And kind of in the back of my mind, I had always thought, I don't really feel like I am supposed to lead a church, to be a preacher, but I could be a great help to a missionary somewhere. And that's kind of in the back of my mind. Even when I went to Mongolia, the missionary I went to be with, I told him that. I said, man, I think I could be, you know, I feel like God wants me to be a help to a missionary, somebody, almost like a second missionary in a group of missionaries. You know, you can run the church and all of that, but I'll be a big help. I'll take care of all the background work and all the rest of that. But when I got to Mongolia, I loved the trip. It was a great uh, experience. I had a good time. But I had a lot of time to uh, pray and, and think about it. And one of the reasons for that was when I went there, China had had a huge rash of hoof and mouth disease with the children. And so I was supposed to go there and help run the VBS. That's kind of what I was there to do. And they, don't, they do it a little bit differently. They do two, weeks, two days a week for four weeks instead of you know, a whole week long. And uh, anyways, they, they couldn't do their VBS because the government had put a limit on how many kids could meet at a, at a certain time. It was like five or six kids. So we couldn't do our VBS. So I ended up doing a whole bunch of other little stuff and doing a lot of knocking on doors there for them. And, and uh, But anyway, I had a lot of time also to think and pray. And I had zero peace about for sure going to Mongolia. But I ended up, by the time I got back from that trip, I, I had no, wasn't that I didn't have a desire to be a missionary anymore, but I, I knew that's not what I'm supposed to do. So now I kind of got to start back from square one. What am I supposed to do? It was between my second and third year of college. So uh, my, my, I think it was my second and third year. It might have been my junior and senior year. I can't remember which year it was, but I was well, well on my way through college. And now I go, well, if that's not what I'm supposed to do, what, what should I do now? Anyway, I've, I've, I was so close to being done that I went ahead and finished college, and uh, then I just got really involved in our church and started, you know, we had our family there. I got married right after college, uh, and then we had Emma, and we ran a bus route, and when I say ran a bus route, there were Sundays where we brought in 100 kids on, on one bus route. Now, we, we'd have a couple buses out there, but uh, one bus route on some of our really special Sundays that we did, we, we would bring in a hundred kids from our little neighborhood that we uh, were working. And we saw kids saved. We saw parents saved. We saw families start coming to church as families uh, from this bus ministry. And so we were really involved. Every Monday night, we would you know, be in the uh, uh, work party, they called it, where all the men would come to the church and work on the grounds. And you know, it takes a lot of work to do all that. And we would super involved. My wife was teaching there in the school, uh, fifth and sixth grade. And we did that for about five years, really comfortable uh, with doing what we were doing, had no, no issues whatsoever. That's where we were supposed to be. Um, and, and I had perfect peace about that. We had tons of friends. We had family there. Um, but then things started to change a little bit, and it's all our pastor's fault. But 
he asked me one day, and I, so I was working a job at, at a propane company, and I know it sounds like I've got a ton left. It's five till eight. I'm, I'll be done in less than 10 minutes. Um, but he asked me, I was working a job at a propane company. I had been there for 10 years at that point. I started as soon as I graduated from high school. Within a week, I was working there. A guy from our church managed the plant there, and he got me a job, and I worked my way through college there and uh, paid off, paid my school bill and all the rest of that. And he said, hey, I really feel like God wants me to start a church. Of course, I didn't know this area at all, but he said, you know, about 45 minutes north of Gill Grove, which is where he was an assistant pastor. And he said, I'd, I'd love for you to come and help. Would you pray about it? Well, this was probably four or five, four, three or four years before we actually started the church. Uh, and so, of course, I'm in church the right thing to say is, yeah, I'll pray about it. Um, but I had no intentions of coming to Virginia whatsoever. I mean, we were, like I said, we were really involved in our church, um, very much so, in the choir and, and the band and all the rest of that. And uh, anyway, so about a year and a half or so went by. I had prayed, I, I had prayed about it, but I, it was literally, God, if that's what you want me to do, you know, I'll do it, but and that was the end of it. Never really gave it a second thought. And uh, I'm not going to go into this whole background backstory because it's it's a really long story. But anyway, in January of I guess it would be 2015, yeah, January of 2015, I was uh, in a brand new truck, and I had a lot of I had a decent amount. I'd been there 10 years, so I had a little bit of seniority. I made my own schedule. I, you know, if I needed to be off early, I went in early and got off early and. Uh, Loved what I was doing. Wasn't making super good money, but I loved what I was doing. And this is kind of the, the crux here of this whole story. Um, I wanted to, to tell you all, this is my testimony about how we knew that it was God's will to come here. Uh, so in January of 2015, I was driving one of the brand new trucks that they had just got. And five years previous, when I first got my CDL and started driving, I had had a really small accident. Uh, nobody got hurt, not, no real damage or anything, but it was a re they reported it. And so five years go by, and this is January of 2015. I'm in a brand new truck, and ice everywhere on, on the roads and all the rest of that, and a car slammed on their brakes in front of me. I was completely fully loaded. I slammed on my brakes, and when I came to a stop, I bumped their, I bumped their bumper. And when I say bumped, it didn't put a scratch on their bumper. It didn't hurt her. I didn't get hurt. No scratches on the truck. But she got out, and it was so small, she actually asked me, did you hit me? And uh, I'm in a, you know, 30,000-pound truck. Did you hit me? If I did, you'd know it. Well, come to find out, I had actually bumped into her, and she said, well, I, wanna, I want a police report because I just had a back surgery not too long ago, and if I'm sore tomorrow and need to go to the doctor, I want to have a report showing and come to find out it was a new officer. He never should have made a report. There was no damage and no real, there was no injuries. Uh, but he didn't know what to do, so he made a report, and it went on file. I say all that because it sounds like, oh, nothing could go right. It was actually God making everything go that way, looking back on it. So my boss, I called my boss, told him I had this accident. Nobody's hurt. He said, all right, finish your route. Well, then he called me the next day and said, hey, uh, don't come into work until we have our root cause call, which is, if you know anything about it, it's a safety call asking you what happened, why did it happen, were you on your phone, all the rest of that. He said, don't come in to work until we have that call. And that, immediately, I got a little bit nervous because the first time I had an accident, they didn't do that. And I was like, uh-oh. So about three days later, they, they called and they said, uh, well, policy is if you have two of the same type of accident in the life of your working for our company, it's immediate termination. And I said, so you're telling me I could have ran into a building and took the building down and I'd, I would still have my job, but because it was a second rear-end accident, I'm done? They said, yes, that's what we're telling you. So I ended up, that was the end of that job. And, and with, you know, that, when they had that call, when I got off the call, I didn't have a job. So that was January of 2015. Well, right away, I, I go, because I was so comfortable in that job and all the rest of that, 
that's kind of part, a big reason why what was holding me back from wanting to come to Virginia at all to help start a church or anything else. And the way I, I've told this before, you know, when I'm talking to people is, oh, the job is holding you up? All right, I'll take that out of the way. Now, now what's holding you up? It's kind of how God worked that out. So I, I uh, right away, so the company I work for now, Columbia Gas of Virginia, has a sister company in Indiana, right there where I lived, called NIPSCO, Northern Indiana Public Service Company. And so right, I have a bunch of friends that work there and all the rest. So right away, I thought, you know what? I'll just get a job at NIPSCO, no big deal. It's a better job anyways. And I've, it's in the gas industry. I've been in the gas industry. And I tried for six months, and I never even got a phone call back from NIPSCO. And I mean, I... On my resumes and everything else, I would put on the bottom, I know so-and-so. I mean, I was trying everything. And I never got a phone call back. And um, I even had friends going and talking to their bosses and say, hey, if you see his resume come through, he's, he's a good worker. You, you're going to want him. Nothing. I never got a phone call. And so uh, I worked little jobs here and there for about six months and actually about four months. And God took care of us perfectly fine. I never had any issues trying to pay bills or anything like that. Um, God took complete care of us. But it, I really, in those four months or so, really started thinking and praying, am I supposed to go to Virginia to help? Is that what God wants me to do? Is that what he's trying to do? And in that time, I won't mention any names or, or tell you any of the situation, but in that time at our church there, God really started to shake things up. This church that I thought I'll never leave. Uh, it wasn't that we were upset or you know having a split or anything like that, but God really made us uncomfortable there. And I want you to turn to Deuteronomy chapter 32 real quick. Um, but God really started to shake things up there and make it to where. So now I don't have a job, so I'm not. I don't have. I'm not worried about that. This the church was also a big hangup, and now. That's kind of up in the air. I'm not, these issues that were in the church, if I can find Deuteronomy, uh, these issues that were in the church had really made it to where I was like, man, I, I don't think I sh we should even stay here uh, anymore. Not, it wasn't doctrinal issues or anything like that. But Deuteronomy chapter 32 in verse 11 is exactly what God was doing to me and my life. Deuteronomy 32, 11, as an eagle stirreth up her nest and fluttereth over her young and spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them and beareth them on her wings, so the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. And I think that's exactly what God was doing in our lives. He was stirring up that nest. And if you know anything about eagles, uh, that's what eagles do. They start taking the comfort, comfortable feathers and stuffing out of the nest to make it uncomfortable for that eagle that's supposed to be getting ready to fly. They'll never leave the nest if it's comfortable. And so what an eagle does is they pull all that stuffing out of the nest and make it literally stick. So every time that eagle eaglet lays down, it's, it's on these pokey sticks. And then it says, and fluttereth over her young and spreadeth abroad her wings and taketh them and beareth them on her wings. What does that mean? What an eagle actually does is pushes the eagle out of the nest and then flies down underneath it. And if that eagle can't fly, it'll actually let that eagle land on its back and bring it back up to the nest and try again. And that's, I really think that's what God does to us. We think, oh, I'm going out into the great unknown. That's not what God's doing. God is pushing us out of the nest. He's making it uncomfortable, pushes us out, and then gets underneath us. And if, if we can't fly, he, as it says, beareth them up on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. So all these things that are going on, God is stirring up the nest, telling me, hey, you're so stubborn. <laughs> I'm making it very clear to you that you should be on this path. And finally, I, got, I did get the hint. And so here's where God made it very... God was making it clear before this, but then he solidified it with my job situation here in Virginia. And what he did is, so from Indiana, I applied for Columbia Gas of Virginia. And this is the end of the story, and then we'll be done. But I applied for, the, for Columbia Gas of Virginia. I didn't know it at the time, but they were only hiring 12 positions across the entire state of Virginia, and they have a whole bunch of different branches. 
So they were hiring 12 positions across all of Virginia. I saw one of those on the board, because it's on the same board as NIPSCO that I was trying to apply for, and I thought, well, Chester, Virginia, that's where, that's where my brother lives. I can, I can, I'll apply there. So I applied, and it went about a month, and all of a sudden I got a phone call. And they said, hey, uh, we got your resume, and we'd like you to come take uh, a test. To It's just the initial test to you know, start the application process. And I said, do I have to come to Virginia for that? And they said, yeah. I said, well, I'm 45 minutes away from the headquarters of NYSource. Uh, can I go there? And they said, no, you got to come to Virginia. So I came down to Virginia. I drove almost 800 miles, took the test. It took less than an hour, and I went back to Indiana. Well, when I got there, I, of course, I had an Indiana driver's license, and the person looked at it, and she goes, you didn't come from Indiana. I said, yeah, I came to Indiana. For this test? I said, they said I had to if I wanted the job. And you got to remember, at this point, it's kind of the last thing where it, you know, I almost threw out the fleece like Gideon and said, if, if you give me this job, that's very much proof that you want me down there. I told you already, he's already stirred up the nest. He's already taken my job away, already really stirred up things in the church and made us uncomfortable there. So this is kind of the last part that... And so I took that test and went home. About a month went by, and I got a phone call. Hey, we'd like to have, have you come down for an interview. And I said, all right. So I drove down to Virginia again, did an interview. The interview took about 30 minutes, and I left and went home. Well, I found out later that in that interview, the general manager who does the hiring was supposed to be in that interview, and he was not. And so they called me about, a, about two weeks later, maybe a month. I lose track of all the dates, but... Uh, in a big company, everything moves really slow. And I think it was about a month later, they called me again, the HR manager or the HR girl from, from HR, and she said, I'm really sorry. I know you live in Indiana, but they want a second interview. And I found this out too. Nobody else had a second interview, just me. And what had happened is when I went on the first interview, that general manager, his daughter had a softball game, and he missed my interview. So he saw my... Uh, resume and all that and said, I, I want to talk to him, have him come back in. And the girl from HR said, he lives in Indiana. And uh, so she called and said, will you come back in for an interview? I, I said, do I have to? And she said, no, you don't have to. And I said, well, <laughs> no, I don't want to come 800 miles for an interview. What happens if I don't? And she said, well, you'll be out of the applicant pool. And I was like, well, then I do have to come, you know, or I'm going to not get the job. She said, yes. So I drove 800 miles. Actually, take a step back, and this is, this is actually kind of important. I, when I went to interview, they said, where do you want to interview? You can interview in Fredericksburg or Stanton or Suffolk. Or, I didn't know where any of those were. I said, I want to interview in Chester because that's the only city I know. And I, said, and, and I was staying at my brother's house at the, you know, when I would come down, so I said, I need to, I need to interview in Chester. Uh, I said, if I interview in Chester, does that mean I get the job in Chester? And she said, no. You can interview wherever you want and get a job for wherever, but we can't tell you if you want Chester, you'll get Chester. You might get an uh, offer for Fredericksburg or wherever. And I told her on the phone, I said, well, I'm coming down there to help start a church. I have to be in Chester. If I'm not in Chester, I'm not going to take the job. And she said, well, I'll put that on the notes. But uh, So that's, that's that step back. So we go back to... He wants to have another interview. So I flew that time. I, I couldn't do the drive again. So I flew, came in, had a 15-minute interview with the general manager. And uh, as soon as I walked out the door, he said, he came from Indiana? And she said, yeah, just for this interview. He said, before he gets on the plane, tell him we want he's, he's hired. We want him uh, for this job. So I got a phone call. And, of course, it was a little bit of confusion because she said, contingent on your driving record, which I had just had an accident, remember? That's why I lost my job. Contingent on your driving record, your drug test, and your physical, uh, it's your job. And I never heard anything back. So that's, that part doesn't really matter. Uh, I, finally, I called like three weeks before I was supposed to start, and I was like, do I have the job or what? And she was like, oh, yeah, you got the job. But anyway, I say all that to say that God, God led us uh, here very specifically. And so go back to that. Um, they had a few positions open in Chester, but not, they had already filled them all. And so they were going to offer me the job in Suffolk, which completely defeats the purpose of me coming down to help start the church if 
I'm going to be in Suffolk. And right at the last minute, one of the guys said, actually, I want to be in Suffolk. If you can change that, well, that opened up a spot in Chester. And they, so they said, you actually got the spot in Chester. So out of 12 job openings across the whole state of Virginia, we end up in Chester um, from 800 miles away. That's the big thing. And it's not a transfer. You know, it had been one thing if I was transferring from NIPSCO. And so I say all that. It's more than a story. That, that's our life. That's, that's what we kind of lived through the, the six or eight months before we moved to Virginia. And um, sorry. <laughs> I didn't expect to get emotional at all. But uh, God, it is emotional because when you know that God has put this path in place and you get on it, it's exciting. It's, I'm not emotional because I'm sad. It's, it's an exciting thing to know that you're where you're supposed to be. A lot of people, as it says, when the first couple verses we read, uh, redeeming the time because the days are evil. So figure out what the will of the Lord is. It says, understand the will of the Lord. And so when you actually come to a point where you go, man, I know this is what God wants me to do. It's an exciting, exciting thing. Uh, and, and I also know that I'm leading my family where they're supposed to be. Um, so I say all of that whole, that's my testimony, how we ended up here in Virginia. And I know it's a little bit different. I told you it was going to be different. Um, but I know that this is where we're supposed to be. And I hope that you know this is where you're supposed to be. God leads, and when He, when you know you're on the path that he has for your life, little things, little uh, uh, personality differences, things like that, should not bump you off of God's path. That's, that's so small. Uh, but, when, but when the Bible tells us we are supposed to, it's a command, understand what the will of the Lord is. And when you figure out what it is, our, old, our pastor used to say this all the time uh, when he would preach. He would say, figure out what the will of God is and do it. You can find out what the will of God is all day long, but if you don't go do it, you're still not in God's will. You, you missed it. Uh, or you can go do something that you think the, is God's will, but if, you, if it's not, you're on the wrong path too. And I'm not saying that God, like I said in the beginning, I'm not saying God can't use you. Right. But if you're not on that particular path, he will. Right. But if you're on that specific path that he's got for you in your life, all those rewards that I was talking about in the beginning that pastor talks about, you know, God has all this for you. That's how you end up getting those rewards when you're on that path he has for you. Doesn't mean you'll never get, you won't get any rewards. Doesn't mean you can never do anything for him. But you can do so much more for him when you're where you're supposed to be doing what you're supposed to be. So I don't want to drag it out anymore, but it's exciting when you know you're where you're supposed to be. It's exciting and it's um, it's a confidence booster. This is where I'm supposed to be, so I don't care what happens now. I'm, I'm doing what I'm supposed to and we can get through it. And, and what I said at the beginning too with the whole wrestling and all the rest of that. Um, and there's a few things in here I want to talk about, but I'm getting too late, so I'm not going to go back. But they were raising soldiers for Jesus Christ, not athletes, not wrestlers, not soccer players. They're raising soldiers. And that's what we're doing with our children. I mean, we, we like to have our kids go out and play sports and, and you know, be the best. And, and that's good. You're supposed to be. You're supposed to do everything you do with all your might. Do it to be the best. But you have to keep in mind that we're not trying to raise scholars. We're not trying to raise athletes. We're trying to raise children that are going to go out and serve God and understand how to find the will of the Lord for their lives. That's the best we, thing we can give them uh, is knowing how to get a hold of God, knowing how to find God's will, knowing how to get on that path that, so that they can be where they're supposed to be. That's what, that's what we're trying to do. So not going to belabor it anymore, but uh, it's ex it was exciting in our lives. It was, it was um, you know, we were excited to come help start the church, but we were also even more so excited to be exactly where God wanted us to be. And as of right now, we're, we're still right where God wants us to be as far as we know, and uh, we'll, we're, we'll continue to work here, and we love it here. And 
I also want to make sh say this too. I'm I'm not an assistant. I'm not a I'm not in um, you know I'm not on staff. That's not what I'm here for. I am here as a layman, just like you, ser serving just like you, knowing that God has put us here to be a help and to be servants in this church, just like everyone here should be. Uh, we're, we're, we are here to serve. We're not here to be a sponge and just soak everything in and go home and not use it. We're here to learn, serve. That's why I'm here. Uh, and I, I enjoy being a help anywhere we can be. But I'm here, this is my church. This is not, I'm not on staff in this church. This is my church. This is what we're here doing. Uh, so anyway, hopefully that was a help to you. Uh, but like I said at the beginning, God will make it very clear and he'll give you peace about where, what you're supposed to be doing. Peace is, is a huge factor, not an emotional thing, but peace. When he, when he tells you what to do and you start down that path, he gives you a peace that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. So... Let's pray, and then we will be dismissed. Father, I thank you for this day you've given us. God, I do thank you so much uh, for leading us. God, you put us in this world, and then you don't just expect us to flounder and figure things out on our own. You've given us your word. You've given us the instruction manual. You've given us prayer to communicate with you. Uh, and then you've given us uh, reasoning to to understand what the will of the Lord is and understand that peace, knowing that we're where we're supposed to be. And God, I pray that if there's anyone here that is, doesn't have that peace, doesn't know they're exactly where you want them, I pray that you'd help them to find that. But God, I pray that uh, each of us that is here, that knows where we're supposed to be, is is right here and we're in the middle of your will. God, I pray that you'd give us that confidence, give us that uh that want, that desire to be better for you, to serve you, to uh, find what the next step is. God, you don't lead us to a place and then just disappear. You, you have steps for us uh, that we need to follow. And I pray that you, we'd be always looking for that next step, always looking for your voice and for your leading. And that, uh, God, we would be able to raise our families for you through that. And, and uh, God, that you would just bless this church because you've brought people to this place that are exactly where you want them to be. Pray that you give us a good rest of the week as we go back out into the workforce. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we're dismissed.